Vacation for each other. That's a church word, right? I mean, just this time of encouraging each other. We talked about that last week a little bit. And, uh, and you know, I have to be honest with you and confess here. Sometimes when I sing some of these songs, it just seems like too lofty to attain. Do you ever feel that way? Like, right, right now, my spirit's kind of put upon by those te- texts we just said. Because I said it. That, that how do we ever reach that place? How do we ever, what words can we say to describe? And, um, and sometimes it, it seems so other. It, this faith journey seems so out there. So unreachable, right? Do you ever feel that way? I mean, it's only when we kind of get really high-minded about the stuff that it becomes that way, right? But it just, from time to time, do you ever just get overwhelmed and think, what, what, how high could I go? How far could I travel, you know, to speak anything of the living God? Not, not the little G God that we all think we have in our pocket. You know, not the, not the little safety net God that we need to get into heaven. You know, not the, uh, not the little God that lets us feel good about ourselves and, and, and ignore other people or, or feel good about what we do for other people. Whatever it is, not that one, you see, but that, this, this one that, that we're uh, baptized in, that we're immersed in, that we're drowning in sometimes. And uh, it's a great way to kind of introduce today's uh, idea, thought, because we're spending a few weeks uh, to talking about discipleship, right? And we're going to probably spend a few more after that talking about discipleship. Too often in church life, we end up uh, getting people saved, okay? And sometimes we can have a definition for what that means. Saved from this, saved from hell, saved from separation from God, saved from yourself, saved from whatever. And then there's this idea of being saved to something, which is both awesome ideas. But then something happens in our discipleship, and, and uh, we don't have any. That's what happens, right? That's it. So you have this experience of, 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 of a touch of the living God, and it becomes so profound in your life, and you just get bent, and you're like, that's amazing. You're so excited. And then it seems like you show up at the party, and everyone's just standing around. I don't know if you feel that way. You show up and you're like, yes, that was, let's go. And everybody's like, we're here. We're good. Settle. The new guy needs to settle down, <laughs> you know. Um, so we don't do that second part well, the discipleship. And, and when I was contemplating this, I said, we talked about Ecclesiastes. And I'm not going to read it again, but Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, a strand of three is not easily broken. By the way, a little fun fact. Last week, you all saw me snap three strings. Do you remember that? Yes, that's right. That's right. In a, in a sheer uh, display of my manhood, I broke three tiny strings <laughs> up here. But I strained because three was harder to break than one. Well, my good friend Dale Compton decided afterwards it would be a great idea to show me that, how, how I had failed in my experiment. And he wove them together for me. Actually, his daughter did because I didn't know how to weave. And he said, now try it. Well, I couldn't break them at all. <laughs> Strings. I know. Dan's like, I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> I mean, I tried. I'm like, it's amazing. Because there's something, and see, Dale came and said to me, it's because it's not just that the three strings are together, but they're intertwined. They're like intermixed. They're interlinked. And, and you know, I would like to have had that string here this morning to show you, but I, would, I went through it away. <laughs> I got home. I'm like, stupid. I was at home. I asked my boys. I was at home at my kitchen table. It's going to break. That's what pocket knives are for. 
So, uh, so I, I was, you know, again, taught a lesson about there's a right way. There's this interweaving of our lives. And the three names that came to mind when I was thinking about discipleship, and discipleship means nothing grand, nothing out there. It's this idea that you're, being a, you're a learner. You're one who is learning. You're just open, you know. We talk about school just started. This idea, you're just open to the world. Open and it's specific when you talk about Jesus because you're open to what Jesus is teaching you. You're open to following the way, as we're learning today. And so three names came to mind, these strings that are not easily broken in discipleship, and it was Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy. And last week we talked about Barnabas. And we talked about actually being a Barnabas. Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. That was the nickname he got, right? Because he was an encouragement to others. And we talked about how he encouraged Paul in his journeys. And this week, then, we're going to jump right into Paul. Now, it's funny, because even the way I list them there, you see there's a certain hierarchy. I say Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, the three strands, that easily broken. But I really found it interesting to, to see that Barnabas came before Paul in some way, that Barnabas came to Saul and helped Saul become Paul. And so uh, we're going to talk about Paul this week. And, and uh, kind of pursuing a Paul, like, like, like you because know, that's Paul. If you're with Paul, you've got to be chasing him, right? I want to say one more thing as we open up here, as we, as we start. Um, there are three ways to think about all these things, discipleship. There are three ways to think about these three folks, Paul, Barnabas, and, and uh, Timothy. And you can think of them as individuals, right? And so we're talking kind of about getting those individuals in your life. That's a good thing. You want a Barnabas in your life to say, hey, you're doing a good job. God's moving your life. That's awesome. Keep it up, right? You want that Barnabas in your life. But like we said last a role, you can, you can serve in that role. You can be a Barnabas to someone else. You can encourage someone else right? Makes a lot of sense to me. And then, um, but there's also this idea of the relationships we have. So it's like kind of three roles, three persons in your life, or three relationships, three ways that you serve. And I was thinking about how to say, you know, it's kind of like being a, a, a daughter, a mother, and a sister, you know? You have these three different roles. You're the same person, but you can serve in these different ways. And so as we're thinking these three weeks together about these three gentlemen, um, just keep that in the back of your mind, that these aren't just folks, that's one aspect, that you want folks like this in your life, but also that there's three roles you can play, three persons that you can serve in that way. So I have a question for you, and I'm going to try, do we have any Strassenlaufers here this morning? What? No Strassenlaufers, whatever it's called, Strassenslauf, whatever. The run that was last weekend, did anyone run in the run last weekend? Nobody ran. Um, I have never done, I think I walked in the Strassenslauf once or whatever. It's part of the Kierkenfest here in Highland. But it's, and it's like a 5K, I think, run. I don't even know for a fact how long the run is. Um, but, but I was thinking about this because this idea of, because when you think of Paul, you have to think of running the race, right? I mean, Paul's always talking about running the race. And so this idea, and I remember one time, uh, I did, I, believe it or not, we're doing Biggest Loser, by the way, sign-ups. This is the last week for sign-ups, I think, for Biggest Loser. Is that correct? Uh, so sign up if you want to be part of that. But I did this once before where I decided to lose some weight, and, and uh, my wife was a great cook, and so I was really pretty heavy, and I just quit. I had had enough, you know? And I started going to the rec center where you've seen Janae, and, and I started going there three times a week, and I started getting in better shape and in better shape and in better shape. And then there was this thing on the, at the station where you sign in, you put your weight, you put your stats if you get into the rec center at all, and it said um, Lions Club Biathlon. 
And I, you know, it's, uh, I started looking at that. I've been losing some weight. I've been doing good. I was, I've, I've been on this fitness regimen for three months, right? So I grab one. I take it home. I kid you not, when I show it to Chris, she says, you must be out of your mind. <laughs> That's what she said to me. You must be nuts, right? And that just gave me more fuel to the fire. What do you mean I must be? Bill, you can't be serious. I know you can bike ride, but running five miles, come on. I, know your limits, you know? And she's my Barnabas. <laughs> <laughs> and no she really is my Barnabas because once I said I'm going to do it you know she's like all right and she put up with me running all the time and doing all stuff and getting ready something happened though when I got there the day of the event I was I was I've been training and training and training ironically on my running not my biking because I was a bike I had run rode a lot of bicycle right I'd done that a lot so I was probably comfortable 15 miles on a bike no problem five miles of running was a big deal to me and as I started running, I kept thinking to myself, run your own race. You ever run in a race? Has anyone run in a race at all? Any runners? Okay, we've got a few runners. And so right away I'm thinking to myself, run your race. Because if you've ever been in a race at the beginning, people just leave you in the dust. You know? And, and, and they were just passing me. I'm just going, don't, let it, don't, don't take the bait, you know, because your adrenaline's going, you want to go. You know? And I'm running and running and running. Well, that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is about halfway... I passed my first person. I was like, that was cool. But the problem was, I had been following that person the whole race. Like they got really small and they started getting bigger and bigger and all of a sudden, they were gone. Do you know what I had to do? I had to find somebody else. Somebody else that was ahead of me. And look at them. Okay, next. I started running, running, and, I, and I'd like to say I finished first, but of course you would know that would be a lie, you know, but, but I was running, 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 and you know at the end, there was this woman, and uh, she was in front of me, and try as I might, I, I couldn't, I couldn't pass her, I, I, but, but you know, she was great, because she was right there, and I was running, 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 I didn't tell you something else, by the way, my brother-in-law, Rich, who, who was in better shape than I was, had been somewhere behind me the whole race, I did not know this, I knew he was not in front of me, and I knew he was probably close behind me. And so I'm running. So I come down Linenthal at the last leg of the race, right? And I'm thinking, I got a kick. Because I don't know, someone said this. I, I'm not really a runner. But you got a kick at the end, right? And so I'm running and running and running and running and running. And all of a sudden, I decide, now, go. And I take off kicking. <laughs> I'm running. And I'm thinking, I did it too early. I'm never going to make it. But then I hear someone behind me. They're breathing down my neck. So now I'm encouraged, right? And, and I'm running. And I finish. And I realize I could not have run that race if I hadn't had someone in front of me the whole time. Now, sometimes I would pass them up, and sometimes they would leave me in the dust. But there was always someone I could aim for. There was always someone I could say, they're doing it. I can do it. We talk about this high and lofty idea of Christianity. They're doing it. I can do it. And we pursue that person. We pursue that one that we see, something in them. They're ahead of us in some way. Well, I went on to do the 15-mile bike ride, and um, I come off of that. And by the way, worst thing I ever did was that duet, the biathlon because I got down, laid down, put my feet up on the tree because you don't get the, the sugar out of your muscles, and, and, and I never worked out again for like four years. <laughs> Gained all my weight back. I kid you not. I kid you not. That's why Biggest Loser is so great because I've actually managed to keep some weight off this time because it, it, it's this consistency over time that we talk about. This is so profound. But my brother-in-law later tells me, I was so frustrated with you. 
I was behind you the whole race. And, I, and, and, and it happened to be, he was thinking he could kick past me at the end, and he said, I kid you not, right before I decided to kick, you kicked, and I could not, could not catch you. And I said, well, then you ran a great race. If you ran everything that you had, if you poured everything that you had into it, it was a great race for you. This is what we hear when we see the Apostle Paul. Let's pray together, and then we're going to open the word. Father God, thank you for this day. We thank you for the, the revelation of your Holy Spirit, the way that you dwell richly with us. We pray today, Lord, that our ears might be open, our eyes might be open, that all of our senses, Lord, might be attentive to you and to what you're trying to teach us through everything, everything you immerse us in. We pray today, Lord, you would open the word to our minds and our minds to the word. Be glorified today in all that is said and done, not by our power because we can't, but by your, your power. We love you and thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 26. If you don't have one, there's one on the floor there. Um, you can grab one of those. Acts chapter 26, we're going to look at, and I think there's the page number, 777. Easy page number today if you're using one of our Bibles. And we're going to talk here, but while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little background. We're going to talk about the Apostle uh, Paul here later in his life. And you'll see here he's already Paul in 26. And he's, been, he's, he's kind of been through the gamut here with folks. He's been, he's been um, dragged before multiple inquiries. Because Paul isn't having the best luck with this Christianity thing. I mean, if, if you took it as, as to how successful he'd been, he's been dragged in front of multiple courts and multiple people, and people are gunning for him. And this is one more example of that. This is interesting because he, he's, a, he's, been, he's already asked to go to Caesar and, uh, because there's a plot to kill him if he goes back to Jerusalem, and he's been warned of that. And then he gets this kind of, and this is a weird hearing because he gets this hearing that's not really a scheduled hearing, and it's in front of a guy named Agrippa. And so, uh, so actually, I'm going to back up to 26 on chapter 25, verse 26. I'm just going to read it here. Let's read it together. But I have nothing definite to write his majesty about him. This is, the, this, is the king, this is the guy who was judging Paul before. Therefore, I brought him before all of you, especially before you, King Agrippa, who was visiting, so that as a result of this investigation, I might have something to write, Caesar, for I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Because... For all that they were trying to charge Paul with, the, the uh, Roman culture could not find anything to charge him with. They, they couldn't find any good reason to send him up. And you don't want to send people up to waste the Caesar's time. And so he has Agrippa. Read with me in chapter 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. And so Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. I would love to know what the hand motion is, by the way. That repeats and repeats and repeats in Acts. And Paul says this. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me intently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. 
This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Paul is confessing his former life. And Paul is before, this king he's before is actually a Jew. And so he knows what the controversies are in Judaism. And he's saying, you know what's going on. But we learn a lot about Saul here. Because Paul's talking about his former self. He's talking about Saul. Saul was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He was born and raised a Jew. He was, and we talk about that, right? But he was the man. Like, he was, he was good. Now, someone has argued he probably wouldn't stand out. I mean, the, the Pharisees all thought pretty highly of themselves. Yes? But, but he was in there. He was allowed to stay. He was someone who was above reproach as far as they were concerned. And he's talking here about himself, and I want to point out one thing. He says, they've known me for a long time, you see, and if they can testify, if they were willing to testify, if they were willing to tell the truth about who I am, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. According to the most high standards we have, I never faltered anything. And we hear this later on in his letters. When he says, I was a Jew among Jews, I was, I was, if there was any way to be saved by the law, I would have seen it, I would have known it, I would have done it, I was doing it. See, but Saul had a problem. Saul walked straight into the living God. Becomes the story of our lives. He's from the strictest sect, a Pharisee. He's even the son of a Pharisee, he says. I'm the son of a, I was, I was a second generation Pharisee. I was born and raised in this code. And then also something else about Saul, we don't see it here, but he's a Roman citizen, which is why he can appeal to Caesar. Whenever the, he, there's this plot to drag him back to Jerusalem and kill him on the way, there was never going to be a fair trial for Paul. He was never going to get his day in court, but he'd been warned. And instead of being dragged back to Jerusalem, he said, I appeal to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he has a right to be tried. And he's therefore rerouting himself to where God said he would go, which is to Rome. It's all kind of stuff. And I, I have to apologize now. We're not going to get into a lot of stuff of Paul because, I mean, if you start really looking at the life of Paul, it's, it's a lot, right? It's a lot of material. But he's on this journey, and God is fulfilling all of God's promises to Saul, to Paul, and every step of the journey. Um, turn back with me, if you would, to chapter 9 of Acts. We talked about this last week a little bit because Barnabas shows up here, you know, shortly after this. But I'm going to read chapter 9, verse 1 through 19 and 763 in our, in our Bibles. And uh, I'm just going to read this together with you. There's something that's interesting because if you look at the life of Paul and all the stuff he does afterwards, everything, and this is an interesting thought, everything he does 
is somehow based on his story of conversion. Everything, that, everything about his, his life, his faith, his ministry is tangled up in this moment we're going to read about in the ninth chapter of Acts. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. By the way, remember last week, he was a real serious threat. He was killing people and condoning the killing of people just because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. It says, he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, look at that, who belonged to the way, whether they were men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a loud a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, Saul was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas, on Straight Street, <laughs> that's funny, right? And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up, he was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. The story of the conversion of Saul is always a hard thing, right? Because it's this great story. It's this story of a guy who's going to do the worst thing, and in an instant, you know, in a flash of light, in this brilliant moment, he's completely changed, right? Everything changes for Saul when he hits the ground. And we hear this story, and sometimes it might seem like, well, man, I, I don't have a story like Saul has. I wasn't knocked off of a horse by God. There is something in his story that instructs everything that comes in his life. There's this idea that he is, he is uh, he's zealous, right, for God. There's, there's, it's been said that Saul didn't so much change who he was, he changed who he was doing it for, you know. He was going as fast as he could against Jesus, and when he found out he was wrong, 
<coughs> excuse me, and there is a distinction right there. If you are willing to be corrected, if you are willing to be corrected, Jesus turns him around and uses him for his glory. Saul comes in this moment, knocked off the horse, and he's knocked blind. He can't see anymore. Everything that he knows. And then this vision happens. There's this great story. And Ananias comes and heals Saul. And these scales fall off his eyes. And he sees for the first time. He sees the truth. The truth of the gospel. And look what it says after that. He was baptized. And he ate. And he regained his strength. There was something about this conversion experience for Saul that it completely sapped him of everything. You know? Sometimes we promise folks, you know, you come to Jesus and it's going to be amazing. You know, sometimes you come to Jesus, you're inside out. I don't know if you ever feel that way. Just like, because it's the living God, it's like that thing you can't quite reach to it. It's this complete overhaul. Some might call it a paradigm shift, right? You see things a different way. And Saul becomes Paul. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. Chapter 13, verse 9. What happens in, in, in Paul's journey, Saul's journeys here, is he just goes on this, this, this total, I don't, how fast does he go? I mean, he's ridiculously, he's bent, right? And he's going so fast that hardly anyone can keep up with him. Barnabas, we see, comes alongside him and invites him to come back and take part in his ministry with him and kind of nourishes him. But then Saul takes off. And in chapter 13, verse 9, look what happens here in the text. They go to, the, they go to um, Cyprus, and it says here uh, in, chapter eight, in verse 8, But Elmas, the sorcerer, for that was what his name meant, opposed them and tried to, try, tried to turn the proconsul from the faith because they converted someone. Then Saul, and this is what happens, who is also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is his Greek name. And here he, he becomes this, this, his new identity is formed in this moment. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And looking straight at Elamias, he says, You are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You see what Paul's doing here. He starts to proclaim things about the living God. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind. Oh, come on, Paul. And for a time you've been able to see the light of the sun. Immediately a mist and darkness came over him and he groped about. This sounds familiar, right? Seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, what he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And, and so one thing that happens that's totally amazing here is you get a new name. We talked about new names before, but, the, but Saul becomes this, this whole new. He had this Jewish heritage and, you know, Paul goes a long way. He, it's his brothers and his sisters and his family. But he ends up just being persecuted and persecuted and persecuted to the point he has to appeal to Caesar. And he becomes known more for his Greek name than his Jewish name. Especially to us. And look what else happens in the same passage of Scripture, 1313. From Paphos, Paul and his companion sailed to Perga. And that's all I'm going to read about that. Because what's interesting is from that moment on, up till then, it was always Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul. And from this moment on, it's Paul, Paul, Paul. I would say in that moment in time is where he left Barnabas. We talked about where they split off, right? But he just ran away with it. You know, he was the guy kicking at the end and nobody could catch him. <laughs> that was Paul. And from this time on, that's what he does. 
he just, he just races off. And he is so hard to keep up with that the whole rest of the book of Acts, Luke is just trying to capture it all. And I'll tell you why, because later Luke travels with Paul and he hears these stories. And he's just, it's the whole book of Acts. Paul, 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 Paul. A lot of, of the New Testament, almost half of the New Testament are letters that are written by Paul to the churches that he planted during this missionary journeys. He had three missionary journeys. He planted all these churches. He wrote letters back to them and he was just going, going, going. He was someone you could aspire to be. And what's so funny about it, what seems so unfair too, is this was the guy who was persecuting the church. And if you were an early Christian, you would say, Lord, this isn't fair. What Why does he race ahead? It became some issues. There became some issues between Paul and Peter. Why is this guy running all over the place? He had to go back and kind of tell him what he was teaching. And they saw it was a God thing. <laughs> we'll throw one more. I'm going to read one more spot for you. This is a bonus. This will not be on the quiz later. Uh, chapter 20. <laughs> I wrote here, Paul, preaches, Paul can preach a killer sermon. Chapter 20, verse 7. It says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next morning, okay, so and I'm going on a trip tomorrow, uh, he kept on talking until midnight. <laughs> because he was leaving the next day, he preached till midnight. I thought that was already pretty funny. And, uh, but listen to this next part. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. See, Luke's with him now. And seated in the window was a young man named, you could, I don't know how to say it, you just, okay, who was sinking into a deep sleep <laughs> as Paul talked on and on. So if you've nodded off this morning, this is for you. Listen to it. When he fell sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story window and was picked up dead. That's a killer sermon. <laughs> right? Paul raced down, threw himself on the young man. Now, I don't know how you feel as a preacher when you preach somebody to their death, right? Preaching to death. But he throws his arms around him and he says, don't be alarmed, he's alive. And he went back upstairs again and he broke more bread and ate. And listen to this, and then he talked until daybreak. <laughs> and he left. And the people took the young man home alive. Or greatly comforted. Isn't that a great story? I just put it in there because, uh, you know, if you're nodded off in church, guilty. Um, you know, at least you don't fall three stories to your death here. So. <laughs> uh, so what is all this about with Paul? Because if we can't cover all these intricacies of his life, what are we talking about? And with the strands of three, all I want you to hear about Paul is he was someone you could aspire to be. There was something about Paul that no matter what, he was, he was racing ahead. He was always out there. You could always see him. He was always a target. He was a target for his enemies, but he was also a target for his friends. He inspired so many young Christians to great work. And so uh, I was thinking about what, what this looks like, right? And I, I put here three steps to success in any particular field. Now, what's interesting is I thought this was a new idea. Oh, this is a great idea. There's three steps to... But it's actually called apprenticeship. We don't do that much anymore, right? We send kids off to college so they can come home and be confused about what they're supposed to be, right? I only say that because I went to college. Um, three steps to find success in a particular field. You find someone doing what you would like to do and doing it well. This is the first step. If, if you aspire to life, and this will translate into anything, we're talking about the Christian faith today because we're here gathered as the body of Christ. Look around for someone who's doing what you wish. You go, oh, I wish I could do 
that. I wish I could, now not in a jealous way, not in a way that would be, betray who you are, who God's created you to be, but you know the times. You know the times when you think, man, there's just something, the discernment kicks in, there's something. Look, you know, find someone who does what you would like to do and is doing it well. And when you find that person, just go and hang out with them, observe them as much as you can, right? And this is what happens with Paul. He has these, these folks and they just kind of climb around. Paul, man, what do you, oh, that's so cool what you got. And they, would, they could run with him for a while, but almost every one of them, he left them behind somewhere. He was on other things. Watch them do what they do. And then step three is what? Anybody following along? Do it. Yeah, <laughs> just start doing it. Now, and, I, and by the way, uh, this is why you need those connection cards. Um, other than just giving us your information, uh, prayer items, stuff like that, there's, this, there's these things on the bottom half, the top half that you keep when you tear off that bottom half and give it to us. And uh, it says, you know, imitate a godly person. You know, sometimes we don't want to imitate someone. We say, oh, I don't, you know, imitate. You're a pretender. You're a, what does it call it? Poser, right? You're a poser. You don't really mean it. But sometimes the way you learn the best is by imitating someone who's great at what they do. And if we're going to be... Uh, disciples of Jesus, we didn't come to this party. We weren't the first ones to show up, right? And so when you get there, look around the room. Find someone who's doing what you feel that you need in your life. Is that fair to say? And begin to do that. We're going to put discipleship on the bottom shelf where we can all get to it. Start doing what they're doing. Watching what they... By the way, we have something else. It's kind of this buzzword now. It was the buzzword. Now it's kind of a dead buzzword. It's called mentoring. The new word is coach, right? Will you be my life coach? I was reading an article about mentoring. They said the best way to kill an opportunity to mentor with someone is to sit down with them and say, would you be my mentor? Will you mentor me? Because in that moment, that person can't really process what that means for you. Have you ever had that happen to you or hear that with somebody? They get that blank stare on their face. Because there's, first of all, kind of a shock people are watching. Have <laughs> you been watching what I do? And then secondly, you know, you know who you are. I'm going to mentor you. It's the surest way, they say, to ruin a mentoring relationship is to sit down and ask someone to mentor you. Rather, mentoring or, apostle, or, or discipleship or apprenticeship happens more naturally. It can be formal in that you're assigned someone or you, you naturally gravitate towards someone. But it kind of happens. You just watch for it. You just begin to do it. And it doesn't have to be the whole person. You can see that somebody has... a. a I don't know, great grasp of Scripture. And so you can start to ask them, how do you know Scripture so well? What do you do? And then you do one thing. Someone great once said to me, they read a book until they find one thing to do and they, they stop reading it until they do that one thing. This is the way we can become disciples of Jesus. By watching for those around us who are ahead of us, like in that race, and just running for that. That one aspect, that one thing, now, the flip side of this is that um, you can be a Paul to someone. You know, Paul's out there running ahead, but you can be the Paul and not even know it, right? But there's something about the fact of being a Paul that's kind of terrifying because what happens with most Pauls is we put Paul on pedestal, right? And then the only way for Paul to get down is to fall to his death, which is what happens. And the great thing about the Apostle Paul was he was the first one to climb off of a pedestal. But Paul was never afraid to say, and there's two times that I've, that I've seen it, he's never afraid to say, if you don't know what to do, do what I do, right? It's something you do until you understand what God's calling you to do. Do what I do. 
Live the way I live. Now, we talked about this before in here, and the problem for that is it's way too convicting for us. Do, do you really want people to imitate your whole life? You know, are you that? Are you the, po- are you the poster child for transparency? You know? It's a hard thing. So we have to find that balance of being comfortable knowing because people are watching and the comfortable knowing that others are watching the way we live for Christ and therefore living in a way that's holistic that if you're caught in your prayer closet, you're caught in your house, if you're caught in your basement, if you're caught in that secret place, you think no one sees you, you'll be okay with it. Boy, that's a convicting thing, Lord. We can't get there, right? But we can. And part of it is discipleship. Part of it is that accountability to someone else. Part of it is knowing that someone's watching. And then you can also, though, in those other ways, you can impart knowledge. You can impart wisdom. Some of us say, oh, I've, I've heard so many people say, I have nothing to offer. Here's someone, a, a man of many words. It's the folks who hardly ever speak who have the most knowledge. Where are they at in your life? Sometimes you have to sit with them long enough and stop talking long enough to hear what they have to say. But they're there. So like Paul says, you got to get comfortable with that, do what I do, do what I do. And you have to look for other people and be comfortable doing what someone else is doing and not thinking you have all the answers. Successful attributes of Paul I put here. He's prolific. Paul wrote 13 of the uh, books of the New Testament. He's about over half the book of Acts, way more than half the book of Acts. is written about Paul specifically. He's this huge impact that's been said that other than Jesus Christ himself, Paul has, had the second, has been the second most influential human on Christianity, other than Jesus. Paul was determined he would not be deterred. He, he could not be turned away. He had insider knowledge because he had a relationship with the Father, right, that was intimate. But he was always on task, always on goal, and he always had faith. What's interesting is he prayed for things, and the prayers were answered, but never in the way Paul expected. It was always some roundabout, you know, he thought he'd go to Rome to proclaim the gospel, and he went to Rome in chains. That, you know, the prayer was answered, but not the way he expected, maybe. But Paul was very human. The legacy Paul left behind is impressive. All the churches he established off the Roman Empire, the 13 letters, I already talked about that with you, almost half in Testament. And 2,000 years later, if you read about the Apostle Paul, we still feel like we can't get there, Paul. We put, that's why we make statues of Paul and put them up on top of buildings, because we can't get there. Yeah, that's why you do that. But it's not true. Paul was always humble. And Paul always, always confessed the truth of his success. I want to close with three readings from his letters that he's written. Back to the churches. You remember, he, he planted these churches as he went on his missionary journeys. And, uh, and he writes these letters back. And honestly, a lot of these letters he writes, he writes from prison because he can't get there. And so it's his second best option to going in person. And I want to read a few excerpts. These are really tiny. First one's from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 through 10. Paul says this about himself. Because I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. And yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. It's Paul's confession. Beautiful. It's all because of God that I am what I am. Everything 
Everything good and proper and right is due to God. If you know the living God, that's such a confession, that's such a truth about our lives. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says this, Although I am less than the least of all God's people. Now, last time he said the apostles. Now he's saying, although I'm less than the least of all God's people, his grace was given to me to preach the Gentiles, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Again, it's, it's this God journey he's on and he never fails to confess it. Least, least of all Christians, he says, right? Least of all the followers. Well, Paul, you don't know me. That's what I say to Paul. The last reading here from 1 Timothy. We're talking about Timothy next week. 1 Timothy 12, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> it says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are found in Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the very worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What a beautiful confession of the truth of who we are in Christ. This is our story. This is what we talk about. And uh, there's one thing that's kind of weird about this, this series is we're, there's this, this, we're talking about after you come to faith in Jesus. But, you know, sometimes people started following before they even knew who Jesus was. And this is who we confess Jesus to be. Jesus is that one who's come into the world to save sinners of whom we find ourselves to be the worst. And if you feel like you're too far from the living God, if you feel like he doesn't know those, those dark secrets, the ones that you don't even want to tell your best friends, You'd be mistaken because that's the very place the living God is trying to work in your life. Jesus Christ came that all sinners might be free. That's you and that's me. One last thought from Paul. Paul knew something, that the only way to succeed in the Christian life is to lay it down. Whatever it is, to lay it down. And you know and I know that we love to keep our armor on and we love to keep our sword in our hand and we love to keep ready for attack. But Paul knew that the only way to serve the living God is to lay all things at his feet and be vulnerable before him. And this is the call this morning. If there's something you need to put before God today, I pray you would put it before God. If there's something, some way that he's been speaking to you this morning, I pray you'd be listening to that voice and responding to that voice because that is the voice of the eternal God. Not something that we've invented. It's the one who's speaking. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we confess that uh, just like Paul, we are the worst. We are the worst. Uh, and, and yet, Lord, you see redemption in us. You see good in us. You see, uh, you, you love us. 
pray today, Lord, that by the power of your spirit and not by any manifestations of our own, Lord, we have nothing. We are just here because you have spoken to us today, that you have spoken into our souls today, Lord. You have called us to this place. If there's something we have to lay down, Lord, I pray that we would do that this morning. I pray that for myself. I pray that for every person here, that we would lay it at your feet and say, like Paul did, Lord, who are you? And what must I do? Pray today, Lord, as your Holy Spirit works, that you would receive the glory and the honor. All these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.